Okay, there we go. June the 3rd, 2018. Lecture discussion number 25, I hope. I think it's true on the book of Joel. I started with this. This came in the mail, and it's from Sherry from Indiana now. She wonders the the United States, continental United States, uh, with abandon, and she sent this letter to me. And she said, this comes to you direct from our garage. It protected heads for years. Maybe it can help you. So, so in case you think people aren't concerned and send me wonderful gifts. Yes, yes. So I have a, and it's a, it's appropriately uh, used. <laughs> oh, it says test ride on the first on the front of it. So, yes, I thought that was pretty cool. People are either incredibly concerned about my conditions, my brain damage, or they're sarcastic. It could, could be either way. Ah, it is a beautiful, hot summer day. And hot, of course, here in Anchorage, Alaska, is a relative term, as is beautiful. You all know that. This is for the sake of the Internet. Hot in Alaska is maybe 65, and we complain. We're, we go, wow, it's 65. We're miserable. We run to Walmart, and we, get, we buy all the electric fans. That's what we do. Here in Alaska. And of course, beautiful again is relative. A beautiful here is mostly cloudy. We go, wow, it's only mostly cloudy. That's beautiful. Partly cloudy is a millennial event. We cancel schools and close businesses. What's that? We had a storm. Well, of course we do. It rains here every day, all the time, until it snows and then rains again. Anyway. We are back from our Memorial Day respite, eager, <laughs> you should see it, whenever we have one of these kinds of days, it's pretty fun to, <laughs> to stand up here, uh, but uh, we're eager to, <laughs> which isn't true, uh, does, does the uh, camera system pick up audible groaning? No, I get mine. But let me try it again. We're eager to re-engage the enigma that is time, or not. Uh, I know that isn't the case. But I just am pounding you with this, and I know it's it's uh, onerous, it's drool inductive, but it is so important. Uh, I'm just not doing a good job with it. I'm hopefully will rectify some of that because I've built all of this stuff up to get to here today. Uh, I shouldn't say that because somebody now will think this is worth it. But time, the the concept of time, has yet to be solved by humanity. We haven't solved it. I can tell you what time it is, but I don't know what time is. No one knows. We haven't solved it philosophically, nor have we solved it with physics or physical sciences, if you will. The nature of time remains outside the grasp beyond the comprehension of mankind. That is just a fact. And that naturally makes me fantastically interested in it. I find it to be an irresistible allurement. Anything that mankind cannot solve, I believe, is purposeful. In other words, whatever the human mind cannot conceive, in my insignificant opinion, must lead to the person of Jesus Christ. So I become interested in how that is so. That is Romans 1:18 through 25. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now, look at that word, for since. What's since? 
S-I-N-C-E. For since the creation, that's a time reference. For since the, the time of the creation, I could say it that way, of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. The invisible is clearly seen. That seems like a contradiction. Clearly it is not. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Notice the, in, the inclusion of Godhead there. It's an incredible verse. What does it mean? We just kind of think we know what it means, but I, I'm challenging you, I hope, today to recognize that verse is not understood. Not fully I'll summarize it as best I can for today. God has given to man his creation, the physical, and his eternal power, which is the spiritual or the unseen. Just start thinking about things that are unseen. I'll give you a hint about something that is unseen. Oh, there it is. He has given us his unseen attributes. What else is unseen? And he has done it as evidence of the triune Godhead. He's telling you, these are evidence of the Godhead, the us, the Elohim of Genesis. And therefore, those who reject Christ, those who do not include Christ in the Godhead, and there are legions of those, are therefore without excuse and will descend into a foolish and darkened mind. God has given us the mysteries as proofs. That's what he's saying here. And, there, and here are some of the physical mysteries, if you wish to con- consider them. As, I'll put them on the board. I might as well. If I had to give you a, a, a short list, I would tell you energy. And one of them, obviously, time is a great mystery. The mind or consciousness. Conscious. Got to spell consciousness correctly. Not easy. Let me put the mind here. The mystery of the mind. You find books with that title all over the place. Gravity. We have no idea what gravity is. We just speculate. From gravitons to, uh, my goodness, to, to distorted space-time. Space, there, let's just throw that one in there. What is space? What is nothingness? Language, mathematics, or if you will, numerical properties. Uh, What else do I have? I'll stop there before I keep going. Oh, I'll just put matter. We don't have any idea what these things are or how they came into being. It's just pure speculation for the purposes of impressing people. But the ones that will will admit otherwise, they will say to you, we are clueless about these things. Time, I, I would say to you, and consciousness, if they had to be ranked, these two would be at the top of the list, even though I think gravity belongs right there with them. Mathematics. And it's, those are 
mysteries that God says that he has given to us, and it is for us to know them, at least the nature of these mysteries. And the church is commissioned to instruct on the mysteries. How's the church doing? The church has completely abdicated. They always do. Don't be surprised. The church is commissioned to instruct these spiritual mysteries, the mystery of godliness. Well, let's just go through that list really fast. Those are physical mysteries. The church has that responsibility. It also has the responsibility of these. The mystery of godliness, Timothy 3.16. That, of course, is Christ. That is the hypostatic union. That is the greatest of all mysteries. That is infinite God adding perfect humanity. I can't stress that enough. Infinite God and perfect humanity. Notice how I say that. That is the God-man. That is the greatest mystery of all time, of ever. The church is to instruct on that. Then number two is the divine indwelling. That would be Colossians 1, 26 and 27. That is Christ in us. What does that mean? It's also Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. It's the, I'm sorry, I'm wrong about that. I got ahead of myself. Number two is, is just Colossians. Number three is the Jews and the Gentiles, Ephesians 3. Ah, getting, I obviously need that helmet. This is salvation given to the Gentiles. Mystery number four is Revelation um, 1, 12 through 20. That is the uh, seven angels in the seven churches. Mystery, uh, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13, 1 through 52. Number six, I, I'm going to stop putting them on the board. I'll run out of time. Is the taking or the, the carrying away of the bride, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. That we call the catching away, the abduction of the bride. That is the kidnapping, if you wish to think of it that way. That would be appropriate of the church. Israel's blindness, Romans 11.25, is number seven. The man of sin, the Antichrist, the mystery of iniquity is number eight, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 9. Babylon the, Babylon the Great, Revelation 17, 3 through 5, is number nine. The bride of Christ, uh, the descending of holy Jerusalem is number ten. Uh, the... the the restoration of all things, number 11, Acts 3, 19 through 21, which is called the mystery of God's will. That's an important statement. God has a will. The implications of that are incredible. Why does he have a will? What does he think of his will? And it's been assigned to the church to teach the mysteries. I did it way too fast, but unsurprisingly, the contemporary church has abandoned its commission, choosing instead to entertain. That is just how we are today. Tell stories and fables according to their own desires, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. It was absolutely prophesied that the church would give up doctrine, 
and would teach junk. I know some of you go to other churches. I have done that myself, not recently, obviously. They won't allow me in. Somehow they've gotten word. Don't know how that is. Small town. But I know what they're doing, and I know why they're doing it. And they are teaching according to their own desires. Wisdom is much more difficult to monetize, as you know. Doing this, that's hard. Don't make any money on it either. Therefore, the church of our time, the prophecy that is in Revelation 3 of our time, has embraced their own desires, which means to trigger an emotional response. And the, the phrase, if you will, or the uh, motto is, make them feel and take the cash, or make them take them. You go on the inside of a church, you will find there's a tremendous amount of corruption and cynicism. There is complete disrespect for the congregants. They're treated like idiots. They're manipulated by all kinds of techniques in order to take their money. They're manipulated emotionally. They're manipulated by musical systems, by how they play the bass guitar, how they, how they, how they sing. It is all a performance, and it's according to their own desires. Again, Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. Make them, take them. There is currently a perfect example on this, of this on parade while we were gone. I have it right here. I have this guy. And you all saw him. I know you did. This is a prosperity gospel televangelist con man. And I know you know about him because he's been everywhere. Uh, a, a, a prosperity gospel telev- televangelist con man, that is a redundancy. That's way too many words for him. They all mean the same thing. And he's begging for a $54 million private jet. Now start thinking about the committee meeting where they all got together and said, we want a $54 million jet. And the reason they want a $54 million, and I say they because he's an operation. He's a group of people who are like-minded. And he wants this, apparently, because his other three private jets are insufficient. In other words, he wants to be able to fly great distances without refueling because it's inconvenient for him. And his phrase that pays, the hook line, and, and listen, if any of you sold vacuum cleaners, you know that particular little ditty. The phrase that pays, his hook line is, this is what he says, I really believe that if, oh gosh, I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. The inference is, is that Jesus would have a $54 million jet. And this is, of course, a classic target-rich environment for me. Uh, it's hard to know where to start here. What, what I can just pull off and tear to pieces. It's... His statement about Christ is illiterate, it is insulting, and it, but it is intentional. 
Again, there's a committee meeting. He just doesn't get on. We had some other recent lady, a comedian, make some kind of vulgar uh, comment about the daughter of the president. Um, and they pointed out that she just didn't do that arbitrarily off the cuff. It had to be written down on a cue card. It had to go through an editing process. It was actually tested. Uh, her audience loved that. And so they went forward with it thinking this was a fantastic idea. The point being is there's an anatomy. The same thing is true here. He just didn't say this off the cuff. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. I've heard them say it this way. I really believe if Jesus was alive today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. It's a tested idea. It's not just insulting. It is blasphemous. But it gets worse. The scam auditor claims that he had a one-on-one audible conversation with God about the $54 million jet. Does anyone think that's true? Please say no. Don't raise your hands. Never do that here. And God supposedly insisted that this gentleman of great wealth, and he has accumulated his great wealth by lying about Scripture, apparently God has... Or, Supposedly, God insisted that this man buy another jet aircraft. Again, three aren't enough. And obviously, being the heartless criminal that he is, because he is, make no mistake, he is a heartless criminal. He believes, he thinks, he knows that he can steal enough from his audience of mainly who? Who's his audience? It's... People like me, old people, he thinks we're so dumb. Now, why does he think that? Because he's proven it over and over and over again. He's got three jets. So he knows what percentage of money he's going to raise. But he knows he, he's going to steal it from his audience, mainly the elderly, on fixed incomes to buy the $54 million plane with this lie, all these lies he says. And that's the sad state of the modern church. We're supposed to be wise. We're not wise. The Laodicean church of this age is filled with people that have no idea what they know. They can't defend their faith. And they fall for these kinds of people. He's aware that the weak among the modern church will believe him. He's a crook, and they will send him money by the millions. So let's knock it go down some. God did not speak to him. That's a lie. This man doesn't believe anything about Jesus Christ. Nothing. I know that's true. How do I know that? Yes, ma'am. What's that? No. I think he I think that he is so bent on raising money that he will say and do anything. The comment for those on the internet, maybe his God talks to him. His God doesn't exist. Maybe Satan talks to him. I don't I don't think Satan has the time. Where's any time, I can point the time. I'm taking the time. Anyway. How do I know it? How do I know he doesn't believe anything about Jesus Christ? 
No one who believes what the Bible says about Jesus Christ would amass a fortune fleecing the poor. No one would do that. Those who believe that Jesus is the Lord God Almighty, the I Am, the Judge of all things, would know the wrath of God would be coming for them. They would be storing up their treasures on earth. They wouldn't do it. I had a friend many years ago. We worked together in a, in, in a what do I call it, a business that would be very sympathetic. More like a uh, an endless minimum wage uh, enterprise that we thought was a business. But he used to always say the same thing. Where is the fear of God? And say it almost every day. Where is the fear of God? Our con man has obviously no fear of God at all. No concern. He is busily again accumulating his treasure on earth. And therefore he is the most pitiable of all men. He's a doomed man. And he's running out of time. As is all the others who lie and cheat. Do you know what percentage of these people on TV have jet airplanes worth millions and millions of dollars? Have you ever done the research? Have you ever gone on Google and looked at their houses? These are some of the wealthiest people in the country. Stealing from the elderly. I have yet to have a single one of these people call me, telemarketers call me, who does not think I'm an idiot. Must have, I must, that, that must be somehow in my name. And so what do I do? I pretend they're right. Perhaps I'm not pretending as good as I used to. But I let them go. They will reveal themselves as cruel, wicked people every time. I told you the story about the man who's trying to sell me a warranty, and I told him I had a four-wheel drive Porsche. Do you remember that story? Uh, but I also told him that the engine was about to go out, maybe go another 15 minutes. Just in other words, one absurd thing after another. I wanted to know how much Porsche engine was going to cost $10,000, and it was a four-wheel drive, which meant it had a very unique differential system because of Alaska. How much would he give sell me a warranty for? He's going to sell me a warranty for something that is certain to break down. I told him it's already broken down. I have to tow it up to Fairbanks and back to get the minimum 350 miles on it. Can I get the warranty then? Yes. Send me the money. No matter how absurd I made the possibility. But not only, I, I promised him I was cheating the insurance company. He still wanted to sell it to me. Because he knew he, I wasn't cheating the insurance company, didn't he? There was no insurance. He's a, he's a young man that gets on, on the phone every day and steals money from old people. That's what this guy is. <coughs> Excuse me. And all of them, all of them, they all lie. They're all cheating. They gain tremendous riches. They're pretending to speak for Christ in Ezekiel 13, 7 through 9 on display. Have you not seen a futile vision, God says to these people? In other words, God's saying, do you not lie? Have you not spoken false divination? In other words, have you not lied? You say, thus says the Lord, but I have not spoken. Therefore, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, I am indeed against you. 
These, God says, shall not be in the assembly of my people. Where is the fear of God? Ezekiel 13:22 Because with lies you have made the hearts of the righteous sad and strengthened the hands of the wicked you shall know I am God. Great judgment awaits these pretend mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter Isaiah 8:19. God's response to these kinds of people is especially solemn, should not a people seek their god, he says to them. Should not a people seek their god? Should they seek the dead on the behalf of the living? God himself, the God of creation, refers to the mutterers, those who mutter, as the dead. When God says living and dead, he has a frame of reference outside of time. Omniscient God is saying someone is dead. His definitions of living and dead are not our typical definitions. Woe to those who are called dead by the living God. With that said, whenever we hide for a week, and we did, I get mail. It doesn't say you got mail anymore. That was kind of cool. But I get mail. And this time of hiding was no exception. And the letters were, as is the case with the gentleman who has no fear of Christ, related. All of this is related because I am what? A seasoned professional. Emphasis on seasoned. And I don't mean salt. So they all asked this time, almost all of them were the same subject. So somehow, subliminally, through the use of this thing called me face, we are able to influence these people to write letters that are all the same. It's very cool. It's tremendous power that we have. So, Jennifer, we all know Jennifer. She actually wrote to your wife, Daniel. That's the truth. She did. Here we go. Dear Pastor Mr. Kocher, that would be me, just listen to your recent message. I'm with Jenna. Isn't that something? I wish Jenna had come today, but I knew it was sunny. I'm with Jenna, having been thinking the same stuff. Must be a Jenna thing. Because we're obviously both Jennifer or Jenna's. Wondering about this announcement. Is is it from the friend of the bridegroom? So she's talking about the 12-step betrothal process. Is it from John, Elijah? I was thinking about Mark 5 and Jesus mentioning that they will fast when the bridegroom leaves. Made me think of Joel. Ha ha! It's all about Joel after all. And proclaim a proof. And proclaim a fast. Joel mentions the solemn assembly gathering the nursing babies. Hmm. Woe to those pregnant and nursing from Matthew. Surely enough evidence young ones will be in the tribulation after the rapture. So much good stuff. Interesting. I hear your message after this random guy won't stop posting on my post trying to convince me that Jesus and God are separate. Ugh, the joys of me face. I put that in. She said, Facebook. Then she says, back to Facebook. Smiley face, talk soon. Facebook is very powerful. We're going to have a lot to do to knock Facebook out. We will be trying. Then I got a short letter from Shannon. Let me make sure. Here it is. 
But I want you to just remember the random guy who insists on face me that God and Christ are disparate, two distinct persons, no sameness. And now here comes Shannon right behind her. I'll read some of it, obviously. Uh, It's amazing. This is someone who thinks deeply. The the folks out there that respond to our little operation are astonishing to me. I I remarkable. I marvel at it. I don't know what to say to them. That just one after another. Here's what Shannon from Texas says. Pastor Chronister and all of Cliffside Community Chapel, hope you're doing well. I'm very grateful for the work you and your team are doing to provide solid biblical teaching and doctrine. Sign me up. No, I'll skip that part. As I have listened over the years, I've gotten to know you. All of you. (laughs) I thought I would share a little bit about me and my family. I am a poster child for eternal security. I was raised in a Methodist church. I accepted Christ at a church camp in my early teens. Methodists are not good teachers of doctrine, at least not biblical doctrine. So from the time I entered high school and for about 22 years, I found myself trying to be an agnostic, spiritualist, materialist, borderline atheist. I could find all the supposed conflicts in Scripture, but I had no real understanding. My grandfather at one point called me an infidel. Thankfully, our good Lord will not let go once you give him your hand, even if you have no real understanding when you do that, when you give it to him. So that's why he calls himself a poster child for eternal security. In 2007-2008, I was playing Sermon Audio Roulette and found one of your lectures. Uh, Let's see, I've got to skip ahead. I am a third-generation residential builder general contractor, so we can all now have great sympathy for him. I grew up helping to pour concrete, framing, hanging sheetrock, installing all the mechanicals, insulation, roofing, trim. Everyone, Shannon, is crying and weeping for you as I speak. I wished I could make a living with my tool belt on. Either I thought the same thing, but unfortunately I spent more time on my computer and cell phone than sawing boards or swinging a hammer these days. I co-teach a Sunday school class, and you, Cliffside, inspired the name of the class. It's called Rabbit Trails. <laughs> Is that great? Anyway, I, I got to get to the. I get. I got to get to it. Eventually, he talks about. He, he, oh, he does say this. About half the class thinks I'm crazy, and half the class is enjoying listening to what he has gleaned from us. And put in front of them. And Shannon, the fact that you got that kind of a ratio is fantastic. That's 50%. I think I've got 1% on a good good day. I, I think I've barely got 10% in the congregation that's here. But he, he says, uh, uh, he says there's one gentleman that is hell bent on limiting Christ's divinity in his teaching. Um, so I wanted to read both of those because that's the topic of the subject as it often is. So note that as with Jennifer, Shannon is confronting the limiting of Christ's divinity. It's the same issue. It's different cities. This is the definitive battle that, uh, if you want, battleground, for lack of a better term, for us. This is what we face. The church age, for those who are 
steadfast in Christ. This is our fight. This is the end of the age fight. This is the Laodicean fight. Revelation 3.16.3.20. says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Christ is saying something very, very important is happening. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And people think that's something to do with individual salvation. It is not. Christ is asking to enter the Laodicean church, which means he is on the outside. So who is on the inside? It isn't Christ. It's some kind of, I don't know what to call it, mannequin that they've dressed up to be Christ. But it isn't him. He's on the outside. Why is he on the outside? On what basis? And I'm saying to you, it is the denial of his I am. It is the denial that he is God himself. John 8, 24, you will perish if you do not believe Christ is absolute God. Absoluteness. There's an absoluteness to his deity if you try to limit it or strip it away or do any, make it separate, make it disparate, make it distinct from God himself, then you are in desperate error. And that is what he's saying in 3.16 and 3.20 of Revelation. So... As you know, when I confront this discussion, I immediately, quickly insert mathematics, numerical properties. Everyone thinks it's a physical discussion. It's not a physical. Well, it is. You can make it one if you wish, but it's actually a a non-physical discussion. It's mathematics. It's numerical qualifiers. Numerical qualifiers explain physical reality. Mathematics and physics are intertwined. I'll give you a quick example. Horses. Or if you wish, horsepower. I can say horsepower. Then I can say five horsepower. I've qualified horsepower. Does that make sense? As five horsepower as opposed to one horsepower. Mathematics is non-physical. I could do it this way. Five horses. Horses are physical. Mathematics is non-physical. But mathematics brings meaning. When I say five horses, you picture five horses. What color are the horses that you pictured? I could say five white horses. More qualifiers. But five is conceptual. The number is conceptual. It's an abstraction. How much does five weigh? How big is five? Where is five? Mathematics is merely a device to understand the physical reality. Just like what else? Time. Now I say that maybe, I'll put maybe. Maybe mathematics is merely a device to understand the physical reality. I don't want to digress into this really right now, but let's go this direction instead. How can infinity be limited? Infinity cannot be limited. It is a mathematical construction, infinity, and it is unlimited. Jesus Christ declares himself to be the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator of all things, the light of life, Genesis 1-3, John 8-12. I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 1, yeah, Genesis 1-3, John 8-12. He says he's the word and the I am. And all of those declare him to be infinite. 
The church doesn't know that. So they start separating him out. Remember, I asked a while back about origins, the origin of life, the origin of matter, the origin of time, the origin of gravity. Where does mathematics come? Is there such a thing as mathematics? You know there's mathematics. You had to pass it in the eighth grade. Where did it come from? Did humanity originate the numerical systems? What is infinity? Well, first, ha, a joke. Thank you. Infinity, again, is a mathematical concept. It is unendingness. It is foreverness. It is internalness. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that unendingness, foreverness, and internalness, and absoluteness from the earlier part of the lecture, page one. You're thinking those aren't words. And I wouldn't blame you for thinking that. You think that they are contrivance, an invention of my imagination, in order to obtain a copyright distribution, uh, if you will, a trademark, so that I could sell t-shirts and mugs and gather vast wealth from the gullible internet in order to purchase a $54 million private Dassault Falcon 7X jet because God told me to do this. But no, absoluteness and unendingness and foreverness and internalness are considered by those who consider such things to be approved English words. You can trust me on this. They are words. And they describe infinity. So here is our segue. Aha! Exhibited professionalism once again. Christ calls himself. Those of you who wish to dissect him from the Godhood, he calls himself the Word of God. The Bible makes it very clear that he is the Word of God. He is the Word made flesh. God calls Christ the Word of God because God authors Scripture. Infinity is who Christ is inside a perfect human body. Can't say that enough. This is almost always eliminated whenever we talk about the humanity of Christ. Christ is fully human. That is absolutely true. But he is perfect humanity. You have never seen perfect humanity. I know you think every Sunday you see some vestige of it. But you don't. You do not see anything close to perfect humanity. None of us ever have. He is perfect humanity, an infinite God. It is the greatest mystery in the history of creation. It is true. So we have infinity inside a perfect human body, sinlessness. Yet infinity remains omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent. Always, it always does. Infinity cannot be anything but omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omnibenevolent. You cannot stop it from being that. It's going to be that. If it is infinite, then it will have all of those attributes. And it is not difficult to reason out why that is so. I've done it many times. If you do not know how that is so, I am not going to cheat you out of the process. You can figure it out. 
And you should figure it out. But for today, the Word of God. Why is Christ the Word of God? Remember in Hebrews, he says, God says, I will speak to you by Son. Hebrews 1, 2. By Son is the language that God uses to speak to us. He says it clearly. And he says that he, Christ, is the Word of God. Why is he the Word of God? Can't repeat that enough. Perhaps we should address this by defining the term. What does God mean by this? What does the word mean to us? When I say word to you, what do you think? What's your definition of word? What's God's definition of word? Consider the likelihood that our definitions are not his definitions. Our purposes, our ways, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 through 8, 9. We think simply... And we suppose our thoughts to be comprehensive and decisive, but we're wrong about that. His thoughts are always far deeper than our explanations. He picked this for himself. Christ is the Word of God. Why not the spinach of God? Or the bicycle of God? He's the Word of God. That's not an accident. Why? What's it mean? And the Word of God is another such example that, that, as you should expect, it's incredible, that definition, that appellation, that title. And once again, he is calling himself, by saying that he is the Word of God, he is saying that he is infinite God. How do you parse infinity? Because they do. They have the letters to prove it. They always want to cut the infinity out of Christ. Why do they do that? He's over and over and over again saying that he is infinite God. That title proves that he is infinite God. As with the existence of time that has mystified science and philosophy, uh, time has left the evolutionary atheists without any explanation. They are stymied by time. That's why it's so important to know what the mysteries of time are. The same is for consciousness. The same is for mathematics. The same is for the word, or what would we call the word? We would call it by son. What does by son mean? S-O-N for those of you on the internet that are only hearing me. S-O-N. He speaks to us by son. By son is the word of God. By son is the language of God, if you will. Language. Time is viewed as a mechanical device to describe, not a mechanical device, a mechanism. To describe, to bring stability to the physical reality. We go by time. It's just part of what we do. It's inside of us. Language is thought to be only a communication device. It is not just that. What is the origin of language? Is language automatic? Is it emergent from our physical system? Or does it have to be learned? Does it have to be taught? 
Where did it come from? If you as a baby are put in a room and you never hear language, would you develop a language? There's an ongoing debate in philosophy um, of which is the most essential to our interaction, our interface with the physical reality. Is it our sense of time? In other words, we're in a physical structure. We don't know what it is. And we're finding out all along that it may not be as physical as we think. Well, in fact, it is not as physical as we think. Now we're suggesting, when I say now and I say we, I mean them. In the scientific community, they're saying that the physical reality is a hologram. It's very common today. Get on the Internet and find out who will lie to you about it. But they're arguing which is the most essential to our interaction, our interface with the physical world, or the physical reality. Is it our sense of time? Is it mathematics? Or is it our language? And language is, not, again, not just an informational exchange implement. Language cannot be separated from thought. Try to separate language from thinking. Go ahead. Ready, set, go. Think of something and separate language from it. Think about how brilliant the teacher is today. And don't use language. You cannot separate thoughts from language. Our thoughts, our mind, is revealed by language. Language is inherent, therefore, to what? In order to have thoughts, what do I have to have? I have to have language. All my thoughts are in language. So language thoughts are together. And if I have thoughts, what do I have? It's on the board. Ready, set, go. I have consciousness. What is Christ saying when he calls himself the word? He's saying something to you. Ask it this way. How do you think? How important to thinking is your language, your words? Can you think without language? Jesus Christ is the word. He's saying he is the origin of all word. He is the one, therefore, who gives what? Consciousness. That's what the title means. I am the one who gave you consciousness. I gave you thoughts, thinking, consciousness, language. He says that he is the Aleph and the Ta. That's the alphabet. That's all the languages. At Babel, what does he do? Changes the languages. How does he do that? Just imagine for a second, you're thinking most of you in English, some of you are thinking in other languages. Okay, none of you are. But you know people that do. Just right now, he changes you from English language in your thinking to Hebrew. Will he do that? Zephaniah says he will. You're not going to think in English in the restoration of all things. You're going to think of, you're going to think in Hebrew, the Aleph. And the top. How do you change somebody's language instantaneously unless you're the one who has given the language? That's what he's saying. I am the source of language and therefore I am the source of thinking. Therefore, I am the source of consciousness. He is the one whom all consciousness originates from. All, all consciousness materializes. And he loudly states that in Revelation 1.8. I am the beginning. The beginning. He's the beginning. The beginning of what? Everything. 
He's the beginning of it. Pick something. He begins it. He's the one who begins. How can anyone possibly justify limiting the Godhood of Christ in light of the statement that I am the beginning, Revelation 1.8? What kind of person would do that? Consciousness and language are inseparable. Consciousness and existence also inseparable. He says, I am the Word. That means He gave you existence. That's what it means. He's declaring He is the source of your existence. What is existence made of? I've asked you that thousands of times. It's made of Christ. What's He made of? See, how many living beings has He given existence to? Christ, the Word of God, the Word made flesh, the beginning is the source of existence. That's what the Word means. And this is the ultimate meaning. And please be aware of how cursory I've addressed it. I've barely touched it. The complexity of the Word of God is astonishing. It's ridiculously difficult. We didn't do very good today. But just for today, recognize that language is a function of existence. And so when he calls himself the origin of the word, then he is telling you he is the origin of existence. And mathematics is deeply linked to language. Language, real language has a mathematical undercurrent to it, foundation. Those who claim to have languages that have no mathematics to them are mutterers. And they don't understand the damage they're doing to the Word of God in the sense they are stripping away, they are saddening the righteous, and they are emboldening the, the wicked. Language is precious. And to destroy it and simplify it is, is, is devastatingly disrespectful to God. And time, which is our favorite, everyone loves me to talk about time. Mathematics deeply linked to language and thus to existence and consciousness. And time is impossible to disconnect from mathematics. Impossible. Mathematics is impossible to detach from language. You see where we're going here? And consciousness and language are conjoined, and all of those lead to existence. So let me give you the names of Christ. The Word, what's He saying? The I Am, the Beginning, the Life. He's saying language, time, mathematics, consciousness. The great mysteries that we face have never been solved by humanity. Who has ever said anything like this? No one. Why not? Because they didn't know, and they didn't know that they didn't know. Christ knows because he's omniscient God. The names of Christ carry the truths of creation and existence. Who can deny it? Why wouldn't you open the door? Why wouldn't you say, Jesus Christ, who has said all of these things and proven that he is God over and over, there is, there is no debate as to the Godhood of Christ in the Scriptures. There's none. But yet they will deny the Godhood of Christ. They will subordinate him. They will make him finite. They will make him filled with sin. And they will tell you that's the truth. Why would they do that? And he's on the outside knocking on the door of the churches at our time because he's not in there. They do not believe. They don't know what the Word of God means. They don't know what the I Am means. 
They don't know what the Ancient of Days means. There's a time reference. They don't know anything. They won't open the door. And without the Godhood of Christ, there is no, well, there's nothing, but there certainly is no salvation. Okay, next week, we do time and death. Here's the question. Do we measure time, or do we consider time, within the context of our lifetime? Does that make sense? In other words, is our sense of time somehow related to our physical death and our understanding that time runs out for us physically? The philosophers think we do. They have tied time and death together. Church needs to know that they have done that. We need to also know whether or not they're right. Time does not exist as a physical object exists. I hope you can recognize that. That's a very important thing to know, though. Time does not appear to have a purpose or a reason to it. It just is. Time is. Why is time is? That should go on a t-shirt. If I'm going to get a jet, that's the one that's going to do it for me right there. Mathematics is unreal the same way that time is unreal. That's why they are so connected. Both are critical to our understanding of the physical. You cannot understand the physical reality without a sense of time and a knowledge of mathematics. And finally, the final question that you will think is disjointed, discursive, disconnected. But you would be wrong because I am a highly trained professional. Jesus Christ kills the Antichrist. You know that, right? And he does it in front of the armies that are gathered in Armageddon. He kills him first. And he kills the false prophet first. Boom. How does he kill them? What does he use? The sword, which is what? Word, which is what? That's how he kills them. See, it really is connected, isn't it? I slipped it in there. But now let's ask this question. What does he do after he kills them? you know? Go ahead. You can answer. It's not a trap. Okay, it's a little bit of a trap. Tiny, tiny little trap. He resurrects them, doesn't he? He kills them, then he resurrects them. Then what does he do? There's a sequence. What's that? Numerical. First, second, third. What's he do? He kills them. He resurrects them. Then what does he do? He puts them in the lake of fire. Anybody else in the lake of fire? Nope. They are the what in the lake of fire? If you want the first and the second, unless they're simultaneity, which they're both in the lake of fire at the same time. So they are the first in the lake of fire. That's math. He kills them. He resurrects them. He casts them into the lake of fire. What's he doing? How much time did that take? It's hilarious. You think he did it bang, bang, bang? Or does he hold a trial? And how long is a trial? This is the seed of the serpent here. Where was the seed of the serpent first discussed? 
Genesis 3. Back we go to Genesis 3. Everything goes to Genesis 3. How much time between the killing of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the resurrection of the Antichrist and the false prophet and then how much time between that and the casting of the Antichrist into the lake of fire? Why does he do it that way? What does it have to do with him killing them as the word of God? Next week, assuming it's not sunny, I think it will be not sunny, just guessing. We will try to answer those questions.